Thank you very much, Charity. Think about the message of that song. It ties in with what we want to discuss. From Scripture this morning, in terms of prayer and God's desire to be working in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. We thank you that you pursued us, you reached out to us. And because of that, we can reach out to you. As we look at a portion of Scripture from Ephesians this morning, it's our desire to be doers of your word, not hearers only. Minister to us, Father, for it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Dad and Mom are about to talk with their son, Ken, who is age 16, who was expelled from school for getting into a major fight which ended up in hurting another student. Ken and his parents are believers in Christ. After talking to Ken for a period of time, Dad finally says, Ken, why did you do it? Why did you get into a fight? Here's some possible answers Ken could have given. Which do you think is the best? I get tired of Albert teasing me, so I showed him I'm tough. I can't control my tongue, or my anger and my tongue. Dad, I see you get angry. I'm following your example. I don't know. I just snap at times. Or, I chose not to know and to experience Christ's power, which raised Christ from the dead that is at work in me. I chose to forget that I've been adopted as a son of God, and will be presented to God holy and blameless. I'm responsible. I have no excuse. Which is the better answer? Advance the clock four years to Ken, working on a job at Walmart. He is teased much due to his speaking with much stuttering. He applies himself to his work, and he does it with excellence. He's re repeatedly told by coworkers, slow down, don't work so well because you make us look bad. And they just torment him to the nth degree. He ends up losing his job due to coworkers setting him up to look like he failed repeatedly. Through it all, he didn't lose his cool. He did not lose his anger. Dad and mom ask, Ken... How did you come through such lack of justice without losing your cool as you did for many years? Ken replies, Several older men have been praying for me at my request that I would know the hope that I have in Christ and God's power at work in me. God answered, their prayer. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Last week we began to look at this <clears throat> portion of Scripture. <clears throat> Contains Paul's prayer. Ephesians 1, we'll be reading together verses 15 through 23. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, 
I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now Paul says in verse 15, for this reason, and as we mentioned last week, that goes back to verses 3 through 14, which talks about the spiritual blessings that God has given to believers in Christ. Those spiritual blessings being in heavenly realms. Spiritual, unseen. Heavenly realms coming from above. This context of spiritual blessings results in Paul praying for the inner life of the Ephesians. Spiritual blessings unseen. So he's praying for the unseen part of the Ephesians. You know, the mind, the emotions, will, the responses. Because what happens inside, in our mind, in our beliefs, in our attitudes, and in our desire, as a local church, determines what happens in responses. So what was happening in the churches in Ephesus, in the inner person, determined how they responded in life. Paul's mentioning spiritual blessings and praying for the Ephesians to know God and to be enlightened in their heart, focus on the unseen. He wanted them to know God, experience God, and to be enlightened in the (coughs) eyes of their heart. The inner choices of accepting, the acceptance of knowing Christ and being enlightened in the heart results in giving up a demand for change in our circumstances. We humans like to say, God, fix this, change this, change that, change the next thing. And Paul says, I'm praying for you, Ephesians, that you might know Christ and the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. Of what value is a change in the outer circumstances if we have not known God and been enlightened and heart in our previous circumstance. We go through a circumstance and we don't know God, we're not enlightened, and we demand a change, we're not going to know God there and we're not going to be enlightened in that circumstance. So in reality, we travel down the road of self-dependency if we're not coming to know God and be enlightened. So outward change in circumstances, which comes before inward choices to know God and to be enlightened in the heart, result in self-sufficiency and a demanding spirit. How does Paul pray? Paul prays 
that they might know Christ. But we want to pick up with verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. How does he pray? The eyes of the heart would be enlightened. Does our heart have eyes? No, he is using terminology to explain, to describe the eyes of the heart, the inner person, our mind, our intellect, seeing, understanding, grasping, not talking a physical seeing, but a spiritual grasping, the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. That's referring to illumination, understanding. It's like new glasses. Remember when I started college, Delaware Valley, sitting in class, and about halfway through the semester, I thought, I can't see the board very well. I can't see what the prof is writing. So I went to the eye doctor and got some glasses. I remember going back to class and thinking, you know, I can see pretty good now. I can see what, exactly what he's writing. Paul is praying that the eyes of their heart might be enlightened. It's like new glasses. It's like sitting in math class. And the teacher explains a math problem in a new way. And it's like a light goes on in the student's mind. Says, ah, now I got it. Or it's like some of you wear hearing aids. And uh, you think, I've got a hearing aid. I never heard that person before. I can actually hear now. That's the idea. Paul is praying that the eyes of their heart might be enlightened, illumined, so that they would understand. Understand what? In order that you may know, you may experience, you may be acquainted with. Paul says, the hope to which he has called you. He wants the mind of their heart, so to speak, he wants their heart to grasp, to understand, that they will be acquainted with the hope to which they've been called. Now, what hope has a believer been called to? Go back to verse 4. For he chose us, the believers in Ephesus, believers in Christ today, he chose in us, us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Part of the hope that we have is that in the future, we're going to be presented to God holy and blameless. The believer in Christ Presented to God holy and blameless. Well, you say, I don't feel that way. I don't always live that way. The hope, the expectation is to be presented to God holy and blameless. Period. Because of Christ. Now, if you were to ask Ruth Ann, if you were to ask my mother or my brothers and sister... They could give you a whole list of things where I have not been holy and blameless in my growing up years and in the years we've been married. But I have a hope in the future I'll be presented to God holy and blameless. 
Paul says, I'm praying that you might grasp that hope. And then in verses 5 and 6, he also says, in love he predestined us, according, predestined us to be adopted for his, as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. What else is the hope in light of the context for the believer in Christ been adopted? If you're a believer in Christ, who are you? You're a child of God. You've been adopted as a legal child of God, the creator of the universe. So Paul's prayer is, I'm praying that you might grasp this hope. The eyes of your heart will be enlightened that you have a hope. Stick that in your mind and mull it over. In Christ, holy and blameless and adopted. And if we're not careful, we can be like the Ephesians. They were probably living as though they had no hope. But he goes on. He says, I'm not only praying that you might grasp the hope to which he has called you, but I'm also praying that you might grasp God's glorious inheritance in the saints. God's glorious inheritance in the saints. What is God's inheritance? The saints. Clearly stated, I'm praying that you will grasp the riches of his, God's glorious inheritance in the saints. Look at verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Then skipping down to verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance, or guaranteeing our inheritance under the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. God's inheritance are believers in Christ. Now look at chapter 2 and verse 1. As for you, you were before the Ephesians came to Christ. For those of us who are believers before we come to Christ, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. What is God's inheritance? Who is God's inheritance? Those of us who were dead in transgressions and sins, followed the ways of the world, followed the God of this world, and followed our own sinful nature. 
were his inheritance. Paul's prayer is that the eyes of the heart of the Ephesians, the eyes of our hearts today as believers, would grasp that God's inheritance is in us. Believers who have been raised with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realms. A few months back when I was visiting someone in prison, the guy said to me, you need to talk to this other guy. I said, why do I need to talk to him? He said, he he needs to hear what you have to say. I hesitated and I, I, I said, okay, next time. You have to, you know, have call people down and I won't try to explain the process. So the next time I was in, I met with a guy I'd been meeting with and I, we talked a while and he said, did you talk to so-and-so? I said, no, I'm going to call him down when you leave. So I called the guy down and he gave me his story. He just told me all that he had done. And if I gave his name, you might recognize it, reading the paper, but uh, in a heat of anger, he murdered his wife, as his two sons are observing what happened. I talked to him. We talked about God. We talked about sin. And he just said, there's no hope for me. There's no hope for me. I took him to some scripture and I said, there is hope in Christ. Yes, you Murdered your wife. And he just kept saying, there's no hope, there's no hope. And I said, you know, you're, you're in some decent company when it comes to Scripture. You had a religious background. I said, you know, Moses murdered a man. David had Uriah killed. Paul was involved in having Christians killed. There must be hope for you because God's inheritance is in Paul. Through Christ, you can be part of God's inheritance. Now, I use a murder to illustrate a point that God's inheritance is in people who have been dead, were dead in trespasses and sins. Some of us may commit more sins than others, But his inheritance is in believers because that magnifies God's grace. And that's what he said at the end of verse 14, to the praise of God's glory, his grace, that God can take us and make us his inheritance. But he goes on. He says, I'm not only praying that you might understand the hope you have, the riches of God's inheritance in Christ, but that you might experience God's incomparably great power for us who believe. Apparently we need the Spirit of God, we need God to do a work in us to grasp this great power that is beyond measure. The vastness 
of this power that is available to us. Incomparably means to overshoot exceedingly great transcendency. Now, if you would, Hayden, would you come up here, please? I have a couple mints here, little mini mints. And Hayden told me before church that he likes these. These two are yours. Now, if you were to go buy two more, how much do you think it might cost you? Think 50 cents might do it? Yeah. 50 cents might do it. Okay. I'm going to give you enough money to buy exceedingly more. There's $10. You may go. What did I do? I gave exceedingly more. Jacob, you want to come up here, please? I'm choosing Jacob because I know he likes string. He's forever asking me, Pap, can I have this string? Jacob, is this string long enough if we were to take it and try to tie these two stands together? Is that long enough? Long enough, okay. I'm going to let you have this piece of string, but I'm going to give you exceedingly more. Thank you, you may sit down. Now Paul says, I'm praying that you might understand this great power that is incomparably great. which was exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That endowment, that ability that is for us as believers when Christ was raised from the dead. Now think about Christ being dead. Raised from the dead to die no more. Paul says, I want you to grasp that power in your life. He says, I also want you to grasp this power that is like the working of God's mighty strength, which was exerted in Christ when he seated him at the right hand, that is at his right hand, God's right hand, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every title that can be given. Not only in the present age, but also the one to come. What's Paul talking about when he says, seated him at his right hand, far above all rule and authority? Seated is, the work has been completed. Right hand is a symbol of authority. It's done in the heavenly realms, according to chapter 1 and verse 3, and chapter 2, 6 and 7. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And that's referring to the spirit, evil spirit world. Go over to chapter 4 and verse 7 of Ephesians. Chapter 4 and verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Verse 8, that is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does it he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. Christ descended, lived, 
died, rose from the dead, ascended to the Father, went through the enemy's territory, went through Satan's domain, and in going through Satan's domain, which is above the earth, he's a prince and power of the air, in going through Satan's domain, he indicated that he was victorious over Satan. Go over to chapter 6 of Ephesians. And verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Talking about the evil spirit world. And then he tells us to put on the armor of God because we have the victory. Paul's prayer is that the church in Ephesus, and I think we today, would grasp that the power that is at work within us is the power that defeated Satan and his demons in seating Christ at his right hand. Oh, Satan's really powerful. There's a power at work within the believer that is greater than the power of Satan and his demons because Christ defeated him. Paul wants us to grasp that in life. He also says, I'm praying that you will understand that God placed all things under his or Christ's feet. And made him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God is a glorious father. Placed all things under Christ. Christ is our life. All things being placed under Christ's feet, indicating that he is sovereign. Appointed him to be head over, over everything for the church. Head means the one to to whom others are subordinate. Head over his body, the church. And then he says, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Apparently, we by nature don't grasp the hope of our calling. We by nature don't grasp the riches of God's inheritance in his saints and the incomparably great power that is at work within us. That's why Paul says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you might grasp, you might be acquainted with these things. And the idea of again to know is to be acquainted with. He wants us to be acquainted with his power at work within us today. Not future, today, tomorrow. He wants us to be acquainted with the hope we have that as we go through physical suffering that we're anticipating something coming in the future. He wants us to experience that today. So let's look at some applications. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 25. Verse, I'm sorry, 29. Ephesians 4, 29. 
Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not let one unwholesome word, not a single word, come out of your mouth that is cutting or unwholesome. Not one. See, I can't do that, Paul says. I know you can't. That's why I prayed for you, that you might grasp the power that is at work in you, that is beyond what we can ask or comprehend, so that you're not speaking cutting words. He's not asking for the impossible because he's already prayed for the Ephesians. No cutting words. For you guys driving down the road, that driver cuts you off and... That's stupid. It... I'm dead to that. There's a power at work in me. I don't have to utter those words. I'm sorry, honey. I'm going to an extreme now for you. Ladies, your husband says, do we have to have this slop again for supper? And you're ready to say a few choice words and you think, God's power is at work in me. I'll zip the lip. And I'll simply say, honey, that really hurt. In verse 31, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. See, bitterness is not accepting the circumstance as good. But he says, get rid of it. Get rid of bitterness. Well, you say, bitterness, I'm just naturally bitter sometimes. Paul says, get rid of it. Why can he say that? He's already prayed for the believers in Ephesus that they would grasp the hope they have, the riches of God's inheritance in the saints, and this incomparably great power that is at work in them. Look at verse 32. Be kind and compassionate. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Ruth and I have been married 43 years, going on 44 years. I was pretty proud and haughty and cocky when we first got married. I think I've changed somewhat over the years. I think if you were to ask Ruthann how I, have, how I have hurt her over the years, she would probably say, I really don't know. Why? Because she is grasping God's incomparably great power for me, or for her rather, that enabled her to forgive me. To let go. That's possible because of God's power. And as you read through Ephesians, you find that Paul is asking people to do some impossible things. 
You say, I can't do it. Paul says, I know you can't. That's why I prayed for you to grasp the hope that you have. That's why I prayed for you that you would grasp and understand the riches of God's inheritance in you, and you would grasp the incomparably great power that is available to you so that you can do these things that appear to be impossible, such as love one another, such as not even a hint of sexual immorality among you, such as husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And wives submitting to their husbands. So those are really tough things. Paul says, I know. But I have prayed for you. Sally, a single girl in her 30s, is talking to three married women who share some of the joys of marriage and children. In time, one of the ladies asked Sally, do you mind being single? Where do you find companionship? Have you been able to maintain sexual purity? Sally thinks for a few minutes and then shares that her parents and four older ladies pray for her specifically to know Christ in her singleness. She continues by sharing. Often each day she thinks about the fact that God is her glorious Father who has adopted her and will present her to Himself holy and blameless and has redeemed her from sin. She says her parents and Four older ladies pray that she will have the eyes of her heart enlightened, that she might grasp the hope to which she has been called, the riches of her inheritance in Christ, and the incomparably great power that is available to her in her day-by-day living. She continues by explaining, yes, I'm lonely at times, but I've experienced Christ. I have sexual temptations at times, but I've experienced the power of Christ. The power that raised Christ from the dead. Paul's prayer is not pie in the sky. It's rubber meets the road day by day. So early this morning at 3 o'clock when I was awake and my mind wanted to go a certain direction, I could say, okay, I'm not going to go that direction because the power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in me. So when Ruth Ann has aches and pains Physically. She says, God, I'm just tired of this. Experiencing God would be 
I've been adopted as God's daughter. And I'm going to be presented to God holy and blameless. And there's power at work in me that is beyond what I can comprehend. And I'll choose an attitude of joy. Let's pray together. And as we pray, I'll begin, followed by Travis praying for Stover's followed by Scott praying concerning fellowship. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We praise you for what we have in Christ. And I pray for us as a body of believers here at Roaring Brook that you might enlighten the eyes of our hearts, our heart as a body, individually, so that we might grasp the hope to which we've been called, the riches of your glorious inheritance in us as your saints, and then the power, incomparably great power that is at work within us. And what that power looks like, Father, as men and women and husbands and wives and fathers and mothers as children, as employees, as a neighbor, as a shopper, as a student. Father, we want to know, we want to experience as a body the hope that we have, our inheritance and your power at work in us today, tomorrow, and in days to come. I pray to that end for us as a body of believers here at Roaring Brook. I pray too, Father, for Scott and Darlene and Jim and Gary Ann. That they might grow in their love for you, for one another, and for others. May they know Christ and have a passion and a desire to know Christ as husband and wife, as parents, as friends, as employees, and so on. May Scott and Darlene and Jim and Gary Ann have wisdom in parenting for Scott and Darlene, parenting adult children for Jim and Gary Ann, Cheyenne and Dakota and Wyatt, children still living at home. When to speak, how to correct, how to train, for Scott and Darlene, when to be silent, when to share, and so on. I pray, Father, also for Scott and Darlene and Jim and their respective jobs that they might work hard as unto you, being sensitive to you, <clears throat> surrendered to you. And the way they work would be evident of the fact that your power is at work within them. I pray for Justin. I know that Scott and Darlene would desire that he would be more open and responsive to you, Father. May you work in his life to bring him to that point and to realize that apart from a full surrender to you, Father, and to Christ, Life is not as you desired it to be. Pray for Jessica as she completes her schooling, graduates, 
then moves to Georgia and begins graduate school, that you might encourage her. May she grow in understanding Christ in her and what that means as she makes this transition in life. May she seek to live in a yielded life to you. Pray for Cheyenne, Dakota, and Wyatt. They would be seeking to learn and obey mom and dad, respect mom and dad. And Cheyenne and Dakota would be in school that they would respect those in authority, authority over them and apply themselves in school. Father, for the Pearsons and the Pollocks, bless them, encourage them, Father, in their day-by-day living. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.